one, and we're just teaching kind of verse by verse as we look at, a, at several different passages. The title of the lesson is Ishmael's Blessing. A lot of people, when they teach on Ishmael, they teach about him as though he's a villain. And nothing ever good came out of him, but I just want us to look at some things that the Scripture says about him to either confirm or deny what folks have said. Genesis 16, verse 1, Now Sarai, I'm going to say Sarah, Abram's wife bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah took, or Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Doesn't that just seem like a dumb thing to do? I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. However, when we look at verse 1, you can see the issue here. She was unable to, to conceive. And quite naturally, uh, that's an important issue, certainly in ancient times and today. And she wanted her husband to be able to have a child. She wanted that name to continue. And so she thought she had a good idea. And that idea was to allow the lady who works in their home to be the one to raise up a family for her. She would bear the child. Sarah would then be the one who's building the family with her husband. We know very little about Hagar other than the fact she's Egyptian. We don't know when she came from Egypt. We don't know whether they purchased her, bought her, she came, applied for a job, or however it all works out. But we do know that in thinking about Hagar and believing she was of the kind of character that could handle this situation and likely wouldn't say no, she spoke to her about it, and you can see what she told her husband, the Lord has restrained me. So in, in Sarah's mind, God has been the one that's prevented her from being able to have a child. Now, let's not forget if, if you think God is fighting against you, it's kind of hard to build your faith to believe that God's going to help you. It's like when we looked into the story of Ruth, and in chapter 1, when she returns home, her testimony is, the Lord hath testified against me, the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me, and the Lord hath stretched out his hand against me. So that's your belief that God is right now your enemy. How are you going to have faith to believe God's trying to help you? It's going to be very difficult. We know if God is for us, nobody can be against us. But if you believe God is against you, who can you get to be on your side? No one. There's nobody that, that you believe can help you. Having said that to Abram, she said, go unto my maid. And as you can see in the, she said she wanted to obtain children by Hagar. So here's a, a surrogate situation. Hagar knew that the child born would essentially be the child of Abraham and Sarah. But at the same time, 
some situations developed. Well, the last sentence of verse 2 tells you that Abram was a very submissive husband. Very submissive husband. Wouldn't everybody want a husband like that? Maybe not. Maybe not. Abraham, Abraham should have said, maybe we ought to wait and see if God can do this another way. Because I, I don't think Tiffany would have ever even came up with this plan. And I doubt if any of you ladies would have came up with this plan. And if we as men would have acted like we would consent to this plan, then probably when we woke up the next morning with those knots on our head from being hit with a rolling pin, then we realized we weren't supposed to say yes. Well, in verse 3, you can see she gave Hagar to be Abram's wife. Now, that's very important. She wasn't just some lady on the side. This was something recognized as a legal binding thing. Now, other cultures in Egypt and other cultures, surrounding cultures, probably had this whole idea of sur surrogacy that they use quite often. But we don't ever want to forget that when you start with Noah's line of descent and work your way from Genesis 12 on down, we don't see any other records of anybody doing this. So it isn't like this was a habit amongst God's seed. That's what I'm getting at. Well, look at verse 4 then. He goes in to Hagar and she conceived. We don't know how many months this whole thing went on before she conceived. Have no idea at all. However, when she did conceive, look at the end of verse 4. Her mistress was despised in her eyes. She hated the lady who gave her the opportunity to do this. She hated her boss. She hated her employer. And it was so bad that essentially she was treating Sarah like she was less than Hagar. So here's Hagar walking around the tent or walking around the little area where they live, reminding Sarah, I'm the one that's having Abram's baby, not you. You were part if you were half the woman that I am. See? That kind of a thing. And the disdain and the hatred was so great that it says she was despised in her eyes. Now, if, you have, if you've ever had anyone that you genuinely didn't like, then you know pretty much you didn't even want to be around them. You didn't want them to be around you. Your attitude and your countenance showed that you didn't like that person. It's like when, when the telephone rings. You know, I'm sure this doesn't happen when I call, but sometimes when the telephone rings and you look at the phone number, you ever frown before? See, maybe every now and then that has happened. I do know that when I call you folks or text you folks, there's a big smile that comes across everybody's face. Or at least I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that. Because remember, the Bible says love doesn't think any evil at all. Right. And if, if you ever had been around or seen people who when someone walks into the room, then all of a sudden their countenance changed. They might be laughing and joking, having a good time. A certain person comes into the room, then all of a sudden they stop talking. They may not be happy. We're in Genesis 16. Genesis 16, looking at Ishmael's blessing. So she, she despised her mistress. And in verse 5, Sarah said to Abram, 
my wrong is upon you. She's saying, what I've done has affected you. My sin, my error, my fault, at least she acknowledges it. If you do something wrong, it's nice to be able to go back and say, I messed up. And that's what she did. She realized that. She gave Hagar the opportunity to bear Abram's seed. She elevated her, essentially, to equal status. And once she received this promotion, she used it to put herself, in her eyes, above Sarah and started treating her that way. Terrible. Well, look at verse 5. She said, I'm the one that put our maid in your arms. And when she saw that she conceived, I was despised. Now, as long as there was no baby... Everything was fine. But the baby produced hostility. The baby became the source of contention. And then she said, the Lord judged between you and me. But in verse 6, the Abram, I love what he said to, to Sarah. He said, look, she's in your hand. You do as it pleases you. You're the boss. Why are you running around here letting her treat you like you're nobody? And the Bible says that Sarah dealt hardly or harshly with her, which is probably what most ladies would have done. If you have somebody in your house that possesses a rebellious nature and, and they're speaking to you in a way that isn't right, especially if they're working for you, then quite naturally you're going to rise up and you're going to be stronger against that spirit. Same way on a job. If, if an employer has an employee that is stubborn and strong-willed, then it's likely that the employer is going to come down hard or strong against the strong-willed employee. Well, let's, let's, let's do it this way then. Any of you parents in here, did you ever have at least one stubborn child? These one, okay? Okay, some of you are not, and as though all of them were that way. Okay. So. <laughs> one, one stubborn child, at least one. Okay, so if, if you had at least one, then, of course, your reaction and your response to stubbornness sometimes is a little much a little more aggressive than it would be to someone else's temperament. Well, this is what Sarah did. And the scripture says in verse 6 here, Genesis 16, 6, that Hagar fled from her face, from her presence. Now, as long as she was doing what she wanted to do and getting away with it, and she had the baby, she didn't mind being around Sarah because she could talk any way she wanted. She could act any way that she wanted. But now the law is being put laced on her, and the hammer is falling, so now she wants to run. And there are a lot of people who are like that. When it comes to, when it comes to any kind of rules or regulations or something like that, then they don't want to be able to stay around because someone is saying, don't do this. That's what, that's what Sarah did. So she turns and she flees from Sarah, and out there in the wilderness by a fountain in verse 7, it says that's where she was. And in verse 8, Hagar, Sarah's maid, the angel of the Lord found her there and said, where are you coming from? 
Now, remember, God doesn't ask questions because he needs answers. He already knows the answer. When the Lord says to you, where would you come from or where are you going, he's not asking because he doesn't have any idea. He's omnipotent. And his angels know what God tells them they need to know in order to convey a message to you. They're not omnipotent, but they work for an omnipotent God. Well, she said in verse 8, I'm fleeing from the face of my mistress. Well, that's, that's the natural tendency of people. If someone is dealing with us harshly, we, we naturally shrink from being around them and want to be somewhere else. If you don't like people yelling at you, you're probably going to leave the room or leave the house or go somewhere where you're not going to be yelled at. If someone's not even yelling at you and you don't even like rebuke, you're probably going to leave the presence of that person and go somewhere else. If you don't like questions, you'll probably become quiet and want to just remove yourself and go somewhere else. This is what she did. She found a place in the wilderness. She found a fountain where she could be by herself where Sarah was not, and she wouldn't have to deal with her. But I like what the Lord said to her in verse 9 through that angel. Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands. God is sending her back into the hostile environment that she created. You can't run from every problem. You have to go back sometimes to the problems you created. It's like one time somebody had gotten into trouble and they were wanting to just move away from the little small town and go somewhere else, and they were talking to an older person, and the older person said, you've got to learn to stand where you've fallen. If, you, if, you, if, if everything fell apart right here, then right here is where you need to try to reconcile and put it back together. A lot of people, just they just want to just run as fast as they can and just start all over. But that's not the issue. If it's a character issue, then wherever you go, it'll come back again. It'll manifest itself one more time. So God says to Hagar, you need to go back and you need to submit. Now that's hard. It's hard to submit to someone that's being mean to you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what it would have been like 35 years ago if I would have been here in Red Cloud and worked for the city. But maybe there could have been some bosses at the time that weren't the nicest. See? I don't know what it's like to ever have worked in the school system here. But I assume that occasionally they probably had some principals or teachers or superintendent that maybe wasn't the best. I don't know what it would be like to work in some of the businesses on Main Street, but all the kids who've grown up here and had to work during the summer and work around here or work in a hospital or wherever, somebody probably had someone that at one time or another dealt harshly with them, and they started thinking, maybe I should leave. Well, that's Hagar. But sometimes God says, go back and submit. Now, your problems may never have even occurred because of anything that you did. You, just, you could have just been a Christian and people didn't like you because they were in darkness and you were in light. In this circumstance, remember, Hagar created it. She said, Sarah, look here, I got a baby. 
You don't. Look here, Sarah. I've conceived by Abraham, your husband. Mine too now. So she's provoking her. And she's treating her terribly. But look, the Lord said, you go back. And in verse 10, the angel said to her, I will multiply your seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Now she's in a state of rebellion. She's in a, in a position where now she needs to submit to Sarah. And God is telling her he's going to bless her seed. Remember, Ishmael never asked to be born. He never asked to be conceived. But the Lord is saying to her, despite her actions, your seed's going to be blessed. Now, isn't that grace? As bad as this woman has treated, treated Sarah, and Sarah recognized that the decision she made was wrong, says, and it shall not be numbered. The angel of the Lord said to her, you're with child, and you shall bear a son. Notice he gives the gender. He didn't say you're going to bear a non-binary child. He didn't say you're going to bear transgender or anything like that. You're going to bear a son. God knows what gender we have. Jesus knew it too. Matthew 19, have you not read he that made them in the beginning made them male and female? The Bible. So verse 11, and you shall call his name Ishmael because God hears. The Lord hath heard your affliction. The the name Ishmael does mean God listens, God hears, and that tells you that here at the fountain in the wilderness, God heard what the lady was saying and heard her sighs and her groanings. Well, God hears you. He hears you. And he sees you, even when you think that he doesn't see you. So here's what, what else the Lord said about the child. He will be a wild man. Now, in the Hebrew, the exact phrase here is he's going to be a donkey. Wild like a donkey. That's what he's talking about. Wild like a donkey. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he'll dwell in the presence of his brethren. It doesn't say he's going to be a pagan. It doesn't say he's going to be an idolater. The only God Ishmael knew about was the God of Abraham. That's it. And the reason I bring that out is because all the Muslims claim Ishmael as the founder of their faith and the founder of the Arab peoples. They all claim that. The Koran teaches that. And you can hear that all over the Middle East from Muslim preachers that are preaching that. But according to verse 12, the nature of Ishmael is going to be that of an untamable creature. And that's exactly what, what he was like, though. Why is he going to be wild? Well, I suppose what's in mama is going to be in him. Mom was rebellious, so here it is right here. Have you ever, have you ever looked at your, 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 your children and said something like this, I hope God gives you a child just like you've been to me? I've heard parents say that. Yeah, I've heard parents say that. Or have you ever, have you ever, you know, seen your kids doing something in their teenage years or even earlier, maybe when they were three or four, or even when they were infant, they were pouting and angry and upset, and then each one of you, husband and wife, you looked at one another and said, you know, that, that's, that's your side. 
And you know, you know that you. Yeah, that, that come from my side. That that frown there, that comes from your side. Well, here is Ishmael, and he's gonna be a wild person. But look what his mother was. Now we never would have known she could be this rebellious until she conceived. And sometimes it's not until certain blessings come into our life that our other characters reveal, other character traits, other qualities. Everybody in here may be sweet and wonderful right now, but you could receive a blessing in your life, and if you didn't have the right kind of character, it will reveal something about you that may not necessarily be the best. I pray God keeps us from any kind of blessing that would lead us into those kind of character traits. But she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, God, you see me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And then she, in verse 14, gives a long name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But you can see in verse 15, Hagar bare Abram a son. Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. Now, why why did he name him Ishmael? The angel told Hagar what to name the baby. Hagar obviously went back to Abraham and told Abraham about her experience in the desert. And he must have believed it and said, My God, who governs our lives and who told me to leave the land of my nativity and to come out here, and I've been here 10 years, that God appeared to you. I believe your experience. So I'm going to name him Ishmael. There are a lot of people, if you try to share with them a definite experience that you had with the Lord, sometimes they'll look look at you and say, I don't believe it. But I'm glad Abraham wasn't like that. If you've ever had a dream or or, or some powerful moment with God in, in prayer or something like that, and you try to explain that or share that with someone, and you can tell by their face they don't even really believe it or they don't care. So you've got to be careful. Be careful that you don't take your pearls and cast them before swine. Some people have no inclination towards spiritual things, and some people who are spiritual will deny that certain spiritual things can even happen. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar didn't have a Bible, but they had the oral stories that were transmitted, the testimonies of other experiences. Hagar told Abram, and Abram said, I believe you. We'll name him Ishmael. And they did it. Yeah, they did. I, I think it's absolutely lovely. And you can see in verse 16, Abraham was how old? 86. When Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. 86. Everybody say 86. 86. Wow. Doesn't that sound like a good number? Good time to start parenting all over again changing diapers and all of that good stuff. Here is Abraham, 86 years of age. So in verse 17, I'll go quicker now. In chapter 17, the Lord comes to Abram, establishing his covenant with him again. And in verse 15, God said, 
don't call your wife Sarai anymore, but call her Sarah, meaning princess. Princess. Call her Sarah. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her. She shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Abram fell on his face and laughed and said, Shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? Remember now, 86 years of age when Ishmael was born. When Sarah had her child, Abraham was 99 because Ishmael was 13 years of age when they took him and circumcised him. Now, here's what I'm trying to really get at now. 13 years, that's a long time. Essentially, to put it in a practical way, that's kindergarten through 12th grade. That's a long time. Abraham trained Ishmael, taught him how to pray, taught him about his God, taught Ishmael how to build altars, taught him how to hunt, taught him how to fish, taught him how to be a man, taught him about his heritage. Abraham believed Ishmael was the promised child until chapter 17, starting with verse 15, when the Lord told him that Sarah is going to have a child. And when he heard that, it was so devastating to him. Look at verse 18. Abraham said to the Lord, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. You know what he's saying? Look, I love Ishmael. Ishmael is my heart and soul. Why can't he be the promised child and live before you forever? So he's interceding for his son. This is the boy who... We could call him the mistake, but yet he got here on purpose. See, he was here only because Hagar was trying to help God. That's why. Hagar was trying to help God. God told Abraham he's going to be the father of many nations, and Sarah wanted to help God. And whenever we want to help God and we start working in the arm of the flesh, it's a problem. And our mistakes produce consequences, and our consequences we have to deal with because just because you get forgiveness, that doesn't mean the consequences disappear. Let's look at something else. God said in verse 19, Genesis 17, God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son indeed, and you'll call his name Isaac. Again, God's naming the kids. And I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. Verse 20, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. Notice it says blessed, not cursed, blessed. And I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget. I will make him a great nation, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And the Lord stopped talking with him. So God blessed Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the one God chose to bring the covenant through. Now I want to ask you, how, how difficult do you think that must have been for Abraham? Very difficult. 
very difficult to hear that. For 13 years you've been sowing into your son. For 13 years you've been sowing into his manhood. For 13 years you've been developing and growing and forming his character. And then God comes along and says he's not the one. Well, look at verse 23. Abram took Ishmael, his son, and everybody born in his house, and all that were bought with money, every male, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin. Abram was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised. Okay? When he was circumcised in the flesh, and Ishmael was 13. Now, I have... I have, um, I've seen Jewish circumcision ceremonies, and I have known of Middle Eastern circumcision ceremonies amongst Muslims. And there are some Christians in the Middle East that practice circumcision. And, of course, for the Orthodox Jews today, there's a big celebration. They gather all the family together when the child is about eight days old, snip, snip, and then everybody rejoices while the child is crying and screaming and everybody's clapping and applauding and having the time of their lives. Circumcision in the Bible was strictly for the male. In the Middle East today, they even circumcise females. It's a horrific thing, but nevertheless they do it. It's been banned in many countries. Nevertheless, in the rural areas of Pakistan, Egypt, Morocco, Turkey, it's a practice that still goes on amongst Muslims and amongst the families. But here's the thing. In ancient times, at this time, there was no anesthesia. And, and nobody had any kind of... Um, you know, cleansing stuff that we would use today to make something clean, okay? But whatever they had, they used. But can you imagine being 99 and having to be circumcised? See, that's what I'm getting at, 99. Abraham, whether he did it himself or someone else did it for him, Circumcision occurred in him, and it shows us it doesn't matter how young or how old. The knife had to be applied. Now, Romans chapter 2, the final two verses tell us that when we become Christians, we're circumcised in our heart by the Spirit of God, male and female. So the Lord comes along. He circumcises us on the inside so that we can take the old man, the old nature, the Ishmael nature, that flesh, we take that old nature and we to put it to death. It's to be placed on the cross by faith in Christ. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus carried the cross to Calvary. But what he could not do was crucify himself. Even if he could lay down on the cross and he had an old mallet, and long nails, even if he could drive it into one hand, there's no way he could nail his other hand. And there certainly wouldn't be any way he'd nail his feet and one hand and get the other one done. The work of crucifixion has to be done by God. We come to him in faith, 
that old nature, its attitudes, its old ways are then crucified in Christ so that we can live a new life. Impossible to do if God doesn't do this for us, for us in this relationship. So Ishmael was 13, and then he was circumcised. Well, quickly in your Bible, turn over to Genesis 21. All right, Genesis 21, and let's continue looking at this man, Ishmael. Verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he said, as the Lord spoke to her. She conceived and bare Abram a son, and Abram, verse 4, circumcised his son eight days old. We already know Abraham was circumcised at the age of 99. God had told him Sarah will have a baby at the set time next year. So now Abraham, according to verse 5, is 100 years old, and after having just gone through 13 years with Ishmael and found out he wasn't the promised child, he's got to start all over again with another infant. Oh, I'm telling God, good. You don't sound too excited about that. (laughs) Wow. He starts over at 86. Now he's starting over at 100. Man, I mean, he's learned some things by now in life. Can you imagine what all you could impart to kids now that you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s? You could really impart some things. And then for the younger ones, there's still a little bit more to give. So he's 100. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me to laugh. And everybody that hears will laugh with me. And that's usually what happens when the story is told. People smile. People laugh. But I've never one time had anybody stand up in church and say, Pastor, I want people to pray for me. I know that I'm 85, but I'm believing God become a parent all over again. Never have I had anybody pray that prayer. Verse 7 who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Well, I've borne him a son in old age. Yeah, who would have thought she'd be nursing a child at her age? The child grew, was weaned. Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So now here is the next problem. Thirteen years, Ishmael was the light of Abraham's eye. The feast is going on right now. How do you think Ishmael feels? Think he feels a little left out? Think he feels like he's been sidelined? Yeah. Yeah, that that, that happens. What, what happens when when you've got a kid and the kid is four or five and then the kid now has to have a little brother or a little sister, and then pretty soon you realize that the four-year-old now is missing all the attention that he or she formerly received. Sometimes they start doing what they can to get that attention again. Yeah. Yeah, my, my mother told me one time when I was a, a kid, since my, other, my brother Rick was about seven or so when I was born, he was used to being a baby. And so she said, when I was born, he was not the happiest camper that I was there. So she said she had me upstairs 
uh, laying on the bed, and she had to go downstairs and take care of some clothes, and she just told my brother Rick to just make sure I don't roll off the bed or anything like that, just stay there until she comes back up. And so, you know, after I don't know how many minutes, she comes back upstairs, and then she has to go to yelling at my brother Rick because he's taking baby powder and just put it all over me. He just put it all over me, just all over the bed. He wasn't trying to change a diaper. I think he was trying to kill me is what I think he's trying to do. That's what I think. Yeah, it was just, just everywhere. But see, people want attention. Yeah, they, they, they want attention. And look at verse, verse number 9. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, Mocking, mocking her son is what was going on. Mocking her son. So he wasn't happy. That's what I'm saying. He, he was not glad when Isaac came on the scene. So obviously Isaac uh, was a little bit older. In the Middle East, in ancient times, you typically weaned a child when they were at least three or four, at least. Now, you, you, you might say over here, well, that just seems to me like we do it a whole lot faster. But I'm telling you, even to this day in the Middle East, you'll still find babies being nursed at four or five. I've been on the buses plenty of times and seen, seen that happen. That's abnormal for us in the West, I can assure you, but that happens over there in the Middle East. So this, this teenager now is causing problems for the promised kid, Sarah, is unhappy, and so she says in verse 10 to Abraham, kick them out. Get rid of the mama and send away the boy's brother, Ishmael. Now, isn't it interesting that earlier on she wanted Hagar to have this baby? But you see, I told you Ishmael was going to be wild just like mama, and now Ishmael is doing to Isaac what Mama did to Sarah. Treat him badly. See? Yeah, it's, it's coming out. It's there. She said, this bondwoman, this slave lady, is not going to be heir with my son. He's freeborn with Isaac. Well, that's, that's an important distinction because Galatians goes into that later on in chapter 4. Here in America... Before 1863, any slave that had a baby, the baby was born a slave just like the parents and belonged to the keepers of, of the home and of the acreage. But any baby born to someone who wasn't a slave was freeborn. And this is what she said, the son of this slave woman is not going to be mine, not going to be heir with my son at all. Well, in verse, verse 11, you can see that even though Sarah was bothered by this, this really bothered Abraham that he had to get rid of him because it said the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. He believed, he considered, he thought, he treated Ishmael like he was his son. Remember, 13 years, more than a decade, he thought that was the boy. This is who God was going to use. So how do you, how do you sever those relations? You know, how do you take those heartstrings and just cut them off because somebody else says you ought to? Very difficult to do that. You see a lot of blended families today in America. Here, here's a, a lady, maybe has a, a child from a previous 
marriage or relationship. Here's a guy. He may have one, three. They all get together, and the stepkids, half-brothers or sisters or whatever, the stepchildren, began to create havoc and tension for the other party and against the other kids. And it's a terrible position to be in where you've got to choose between your child and your spouse. See? Your stepchild and your spouse. And people deal with this every day, I'm telling you. Every day people deal with this. But there are some stepchildren, their intention is to do everything they can to get their stepdad out that house. Yep. If I can get this woman out of here, I'm going to get her out of here. I don't care what I have to do. She's leaving here. But it's hard when you've got relations with somebody. And Abraham and Ishmael were certainly tight. In verse 12, the Lord saw how this was hurting Abraham, and he said to Abraham, Don't let it be grievous in your sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said, hearken to her voice. Well, hold on, he hearkened to her voice before, and Ishmael got here. Okay. So now you saying, listen to her again? Except this time it's God telling him to listen. Before it wasn't. This time it is. We need to know the difference between an idea that comes from God and then the thought that we have. Yeah. So he said, Isaac, and Isaac shall your seed be called, but also of the bond woman will I make a nation, the son of the bond woman, because he's your seed. So Ishmael is going to be blessed because he's connected to you, Abraham. God does not say regarding Ishmael that he is cursed. God does not say regarding Ishmael that he's going to be in trouble forever. It just seems to me like he keeps running into one blessing from the Lord after another, despite his character. And if God could love Ishmael like that, why can't he love us like that? And why can't he treat us like that and do wonderful things for us? Notice verse verse number 14. So, Abraham rose up early in the morning. That's a man that's obeying God. He took bread and a bottle of water, gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder, and the child sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. You said, why did she wander? Where was she to go? She's been a slave. She's somewhere between the promised land and Egypt, I don't know how many friends she had. In verse 15, when she ran out of water, she laid her little teenage son in the bushes. And she went and sat down because she was just a, a, a bow shot of an arrow away. And she didn't want to watch her son starve to death and die from a lack of thirst. And she just sat there and wept. I mean, that's a pretty bad circumstance to be in. When you're a mom and you want to take care of your child and you can't do it the way you want to. The first time she ended up in the wilderness because of what she did. See? The second time she's in the wilderness because of what he did. But both times they're in the wilderness because of something they did. And sometimes our wilderness journeys are produced by our own decisions, by our own actions. She mistreated Sarah. 
fled into the wilderness. He mistreated Isaac, forced to go into the wilderness. And again, here we find the grace of God. Watch this, verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. See, before he heard the voice of the mother. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said, What ails you, Hagar? Don't you love that? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? We're starving to death out here. That's what's wrong. The angel said, Don't be afraid. God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So that tells you right there God knew where this boy was. He knew which shrub he was laying by or under. And the Lord always knows where we are in our wilderness. When you think he doesn't, he does. When you think he doesn't care, when you're weeping and crying and you're complaining, she probably was out there saying, well, what about all the promises that God you made and what about all the things that you said? His promises were true, but the issue isn't the promises. The issue is the character of the mom and the character of the son. Remember, two wildernesses because of their own actions. But doesn't this remind us of Israel? God told the children of Israel that God told the told Abraham, I should say, that his seed would go into Egypt for four hundred years. They did. Then there came a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. That means the governor, the government changed. And then it started persecuting the people. Yeah. And when that happened, at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says the children of Israel were sighing and groaning under the weight of all of that harsh persecution. And the scripture said, God heard their groaning and looked upon their affliction. That's what he did for Sarah. That's what he's doing right now. And this is what God does for you and me even now. There have been plenty of times... Each of us have had a circumstance where we we just kind of went somewhere alone and had a moment with God or moments with God and cried. And we just said, how in the world is this ever going to work out? I, I just don't, Lord, I just, I don't see a way out. I've been kicked out. I've been pushed out. I've been asked to leave. I've been told to leave. What am I going to do now? I've got this kid. And God comes along and says two things. What's bothering you? And don't be afraid. Because God's trying to let, let Hagar know he's bigger than Abraham and he's bigger than Sarah. Don't ever forget that. God's bigger than your husband. God's bigger than your wife. God's bigger than us all. I remember years ago, we were having some some financial issues one time, and uh, I just remember Tiffany telling me one time, I, I just had to realize, even though you're the one traveling and preaching, you are not my source. God is. God is. And everybody should know that. Your source is not a man. Your source is not a woman. Your source is God. And the sooner you can see that, the quicker your wilderness circumstances change. 
because your, your view will change. Your perspective will change once you begin to see things as God has told you you should see them. He said, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 18. Lift up the lad, hold him in your hand, I'll make him a great nation. He's still blessing her. Verse 19, God opened her eyes, she saw a well of water, she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. So A, either the well was there and she didn't know it, or B, God put a well there. In either case, God opened her eyes to see what she didn't see before, and that is exactly what we need. To be in our wilderness... And to have God open our eyes to have a new, fresh perspective. God, you're working this out for me. I trust you. I believe you. You are going to handle this. And even though I don't have any food and I don't have any water, you are big enough to bring me food and water in my wilderness. Yeah. Yeah, don't ever forget that. So verse Verse 19, she filled the bottle with water. God gave the lad, uh, and she gave the lad drink, and God was with the lad. Don't ever forget that sentence. God was with the lad, Ishmael. Again, he didn't become a pagan. He's not worshiping other gods at this time. God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. That means he was good with the bow and an arrow, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. He dwelt in the wilderness. He continued the tradition of his dad. What was that? Living in tents, living in the wilderness. So to, to finish this up quickly, go to Genesis 25. Genesis 25. I don't know exactly how long he was separated from Isaac. I'm just going to take a, take a wild guess and say, oh, about at least 65 years. Because if Ishmael was born when Abraham was 86, and then Isaac was born when he was 100, and then Isaac had to be weaned, so we'll just go conservatively and say two or three. That means that somewhere immediately in that vicinity, he started mocking or causing problems for Isaac, which would mean he was put out, kicked out by Sarah and Abraham, and probably for the last six and a half decades or so, he was wandering and separated from Isaac because, as the Bible teaches, Abraham lived to be 175 years of age. That's what it says. That's a lot of decades to not see your sibling, isn't it? That's a lot of decades to not talk to your siblings, isn't it? Yeah, that's a long time to not talk to a sibling. Look at Genesis 25. It says here, by now, verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And as you can see in verse 6, Abraham, he wasn't done. He started having more kids. And you can see he gave them gifts and also sent them away from Isaac. Yeah. 
Then verse 7, all the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, a hundred three score, that's 160, and 15 years, 175, and he died. He gave up the ghost in old age. Again, decades they went without seeing each other. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, God's plan for us is to be able to have some kind of cordial relationship with siblings without there being bitterness, rancor, and hostility. You say, what if their character doesn't change? Your character can be better. In this instance, Isaac and Ishmael never got together again until their dad died. I can tell you as a pastor, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a whole lot of people never come home to see family again until a parent dies. And I've seen it where a parent dies and the other siblings and family members still don't come home. I've seen that too. Yeah. Look at verse 8. Abraham gave up the ghost and died. In a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Verse 9. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. That's the one that he bought years ago so he could bury his wife Sarah in it. Verse 10. Yep. Now what am I saying? I'm saying that as badly as the reading of this, leads us to believe Ishmael was treated. This man still came back to the grave where his dad died. Why do you think he did that? Well, remember, he was a teenager. And he knew how hard this was on Abraham to have to ask them to leave. But Abraham believed it was God. And God had told him. They got to go. See, there's, there's that cross. There's that verse that says, except you hate your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle, you can't, you can't have me. You're not worthy of me. And I'm sure all the decades that Ishmael was out there, I have no record, don't know, have any clue whether or not he ever saw Abram again as they were wandering in the wilderness. But I do know this, even though he was cast out, he knew he was put out because of how he treated Isaac. And obviously Isaac had been a person who was a forgiver and and Ishmael was a person who had forgiven his father, and yet they could stand there at the grave together because their father is now dead. That's forgiveness. And you've got to be able to forgive people that have hurt you, even if you've been treated badly. Well, Pastor, you don't know my, my mom and them left me at my auntie's house, and they said they didn't want me. You still got to forgive. Still got to forgive. You don't realize how bad my siblings treated me when I was a kid. They, told, they treated me worse than Jephthah's siblings treated him when they told him, you're the son of a prostitute. We don't even want you around here. You still got to forgive. Why go decade after decade angry and bitter and upset? And then why wait till somebody dies until you reconcile? Isaac was just a few hundred miles away, living in the wilderness too. 
they could have easily gotten together. How many people in rural America don't talk to family members that are in Kearney, that are somewhere down in Kansas City, somewhere in Des Moines? See, reconciliation is hard. I'm glad they did it, even if they did it at the grave. I'm, I'm not under the impression they needed to hang out and drink tea and coffee once a month. I'm just saying, make sure that there's nothing in your heart that would prevent you from doing that. Isaac had to get beyond all the bad memories with Ishmael in order to stand there, solidarity about their dad's death. And Ishmael had to be able to forgive himself for how he treated his brother, forgive his dad for how he treated him in order to stand there with his brother and speak peaceably to him. Because after all, Isaac ended up with everything that Ishmael wanted and thought originally he was going to have. Yeah, inheritance didn't go to him. It went to Isaac. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll talk a little bit. Father, thank you for this story in Scripture. It's powerful. That you could work through a man to change his life and to help him. And despite all of his flaws and failures, despite the weaknesses and the character that he had and his mother had, you were gracious enough to bless him over and over again. And you've done the same for everybody in this sanctuary right now. Repeatedly, God, you've helped us. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.